Today, I want to think a bit about the difference being a disciple of Jesus, being a Christian, being in Christ, a part of the body, his body, the church, makes or should make to our lives, and in turn, everyone who is a part of our lives. Eugene Peterson, in his introduction to Paul's letter to the Colossians, writes, Hardly anyone who hears the full story of Jesus and learns the true facts of his life and teaching, crucifixion and resurrection, walks away with a shrug of the shoulders, dismissing him as unimportant. People ignorant of the story or misinformed about it, of course, regularly dismiss him. But with few exceptions, the others know instinctively that we are, they are dealing with a most remarkable greatness. But it's quite common for those who consider him truly important to include others who seem to be equally important in his company. Buddha, Moses, Socrates, and Muhammad for a historical start, along with some personal favorites. For these people, Jesus is important, but not central. His prestige is considerable, but he's not preeminent. The Christians in the town of Colossae, or at least some of them, seem to have been taking this line. For them, cosmic forces of one sort or another were getting equal billing with Jesus. Paul writes to them in an attempt to restore Jesus, the Messiah, to the center of their lives. In NIV Church Bibles, today's reading, Colossians 3, 1 to 17, is entitled, Living as Those Made Alive in Christ. Verse 1 sets the tone. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. This image was a popular one for the early church and is the most commonly quoted messianic prophecy in the New Testament, which is taken from Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The book of Hebrews begins, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. It is a fundamental truth that Jesus died but rose again to new life, a life that he shares with all who accept him into their lives. Jesus himself prays shortly before he is crucified. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you, 
For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus has risen to new life, and we too have been raised to new life with him in him. When we lose sight of that fact, we are apt to go searching for fulfillment, satisfaction, purpose, pleasure, joy, etc., in all manner of different pursuits, beliefs, philosophies, theories, activism, and so on. So if Jesus is to be central to our lives, then we mustn't exclude him from any area of our lives. Jesus is a life changer. He changes lives radically. A few months ago, we were looking at the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Gordon had carried out an informal survey prior to writing his sermon, asking folks what stood out for them in the story. Many of us, including yours truly, honed in on the fact that Zacchaeus was vertically challenged, a wee guy who had to climb a tree to see Jesus. We had become so used to hearing this story and singing choruses about Zacchaeus being a very little man that we'd missed the point. This guy was regarded by his fellow Jericho locals as the scum of the earth, a Roman lackey collecting their taxes while robbing people blind and lining his own pockets. Jesus certainly isn't choosy about who he goes to visit. But it's a life-changing visit for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Note that after meeting Jesus, we're not told that Zacchaeus was transformed into a six-foot-six giant, but his life would never be the same again. The whole direction of his life was changed. Jesus changes lives forever. Jesus continues today to change lives. Paul never writes to folks to share the latest intellectual theory or idea, the kind so beloved of Greek philosophers who could spend many hours discussing frankly useless topics and theories long before social media. Paul is passionate that the gospel must be preached, received, and lived out in whatever society we are living in. The church must be a beacon to society. He writes, 
Be wise in the way you act to outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So as those who are in Christ, there is behavior which is compatible with being a Christian, and there is behavior which is not Jesus-like at all. Paul lists a range of these Jesus-like and non-Jesus-like behaviors, as he often does. He says that a lot of the stuff that used to be associated with them and their old pre-Jesus days has to stop. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Again, like the story of Zacchaeus, we must be careful not to sanitize the radical call Jesus makes on our lives. If we look at the background of the different folks who are part of the church in Colossae, they are anything but natural bedfellows. Barclay comments, the ancient world was full of barriers. The Greeks looked down on the barbarians, and to the Greeks, anyone who did not speak Greek was a barbarian. The Greeks were the aristocrats of the ancient world, and they knew it. The Jews looked down on every other nation. They belonged to God's chosen people, and the other nations were fit only to be fuel for the fires of hell. The Scythians were notorious as the lowest of the barbarians, more barbarian than the barbarians, the Greeks called them. Scythians were little short of wild animals. The Jewish historian Josephus speaks of them as being proverbially savages who terrorized the civilized world with their bestial atrocities. Slaves were not even classified in ancient law as being human beings. They were merely living tools with no rights of their own. Their masters could thrash or brand or maim or even kill them at will, at whim. They did not even have the right of marriage. There could be no fellowship in the ancient world between slaves and those who were free. Clearly, these folks are not instinctively going to gather round the campfire for a kumbaya sing-along. So let's for a moment consider a couple of folk who were part of the Colossi church. In chapter 4, in his final greetings in this letter, Paul writes, 
Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. Onesimus, Paul tells the folks at Colossae, is now our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. Onesimus has had a life-changing experience. He has come to Christ. Who was Onesimus? He was a slave in the household of Philemon. Philemon had come to Christ through the ministry of Paul, most probably during a visit to Ephesus, where Paul is currently in jail and where he's sending the letter from. Philemon was part of the Colossae church. Indeed, in the absence of church buildings, his was one of the houses folks would meet to share meals, communion, prayer, worship, and so on. But there had been trouble at Mill. Onesimus had run away. We don't know why. Perhaps Philemon had ill-treated him in some way. But there is a suggestion that he'd also stolen from Philemon before making his getaway. Onesimus means useful, which would no doubt be a misnomer if ever there was one, as far as Philemon was concerned. Onesimus makes his way to Ephesus. We don't know if it was his intention to link up with Paul, who he would have heard Philemon talk about, but that is what happens nevertheless. After a period of time, and we don't know how long, Onesimus comes to faith. At the same time as this letter is written, uh, another letter is being delivered to Colossae, a personal letter from Paul to Philemon. It's a mere 25 verses, so why not have a read later on? The contents are mind-blowing. Remember that legally, Philemon had every right to have Onesimus executed. Runaway slaves could not expect a fair trial. Paul writes, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, 
but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Legally, Philemon holds all the cards, but Paul reminds him and all slave owners, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Similarly, Paul charges all slaves in the fellowship. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Quite rightly, these verses dealing with slavery are difficult for us to grapple with. A fortnight ago, when this sermon was at this stage, I remembered that I had recorded but not yet watched the film 12 Years a Slave, set in North Carolina in the mid-19th century. In one scene, a particularly un-Jesus-like plantation owner, drunken, lecherous, tyrannical, sadistic, assured his slaves as he led the Sunday service that since slavery was in the Bible, he had a God-given right to treat his property however he liked, including delivering savage beatings. Clearly, he hadn't read Colossians or Philemon. A couple of weeks ago, John Collard was looking at Exodus 23. Israel had been delivered by God from slavery in Egypt, and now they were in transition as they journeyed to the Promised Land. And so they had to grapple with their newfound God-given freedom and ask themselves, how then shall we live? How do we live as God's people? What do we do with our new life of freedom? Paul isn't an apologist for slavery. He too must grapple with how those who have new life in Christ must live in the society and circumstances in which they are currently living, as we have to, as every generation, every Christian should. So consider what Paul is asking Philemon, his brother in Christ, to do. He is to forget his legal rights over Onesimus. He is to welcome Onesimus back into his household, who is also like Paul, his brother in Christ. And there is even a hint that he might go further and give Onesimus his freedom. Now imagine... Phil meets his slave-owning mates at Colossi Golf Club and is asked, what's the script, Phil? You've taken back your runaway slave. You have your heat. You're letting the side down. Where will this end? Maybe you should find another club to join. Hey, you could go golfing with your slave. 
Similarly, Onesimus might well be thinking, Paul, I prefer to stay here with you. After all, Philemon might not believe I've changed. He's got every reason not to trust me. He might not forgive me. He might have it in for me. Paul is demonstrating the practical difference being a disciple of Jesus makes to how we live our lives and engage with each other. Look at what it cost Jesus so that we could be reconciled to God. So we must be willing to do what it takes in the nitty-gritty of everyday life to be reconciled to one another. Bartley again comments, both slaves and free came together in the church. More than that, in the early church, it could and did happen that a slave was the leader of the church and the master was the humble church member. In the presence of God, the social distinctions of the world became irrelevant. Again, a couple of weeks ago when I was writing this sermon, Miriam posted the following on Facebook. In Denmark, there are libraries where you can borrow a person instead of a book to listen to their life story for 30 minutes. The goal is to fight prejudice. Each person has a title, unemployed, or refugee, or bipolar. But listening to their story, you realize how much you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. This innovative, brilliant project is active in 50 countries. It is called the Human Library. And Miriam posed the question, I wonder what my cover would say. What is yours? If folks were sitting together in this room just now, and I asked you to raise your hands, if you were confident that you had no blind spots and not one iota of prejudice towards anyone or any group, I would not expect to see any hands raised at all, and certainly not mine. It is only when we allow Jesus to challenge and change us that we will become intentionally vulnerable, to look beyond the labels we instinctively give some people, to step out of the silos we are apt to create around us, the social media echo chambers, and so on. I'll conclude with Colossians 3, 12 to 17 from the message. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, 
discipline, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offence, forgive as quickly and completely as the Master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, put on love. Wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he died and rose again to save us from our sins, to bring us back to you, to welcome us into your kingdom, to new life with you. And Father God, we pray that more and more Jesus would be the center of our lives, that he would be first in our lives, that all people we come into contact with, we would look at them through Jesus' eyes, people loved beyond measure, people who Jesus died for. Father God, we pray that more and more folk would come to know you as Savior and Lord, and that each of us who are already in Christ would play our full part in partnering you as you change lives. Amen.